Mr. McIntosh, you're very welcome to the committee room at the Royal Dublin Golf Club. Thank you for having me again, Shane. Not a problem. We're uh, quite unusually recording this face-to-face. This is the ideal excuse to uh, give my Zoom Podtrack P4 its first adventure into the wild. Uh, for those that are listening, uh, a Zoom Podtrack P4 is actually a recording device that facilitates both remote and in-person recording. Anyway, on we go. Uh, I've, I've managed to rouse you from your sick bed this morning, on New Year's Eve no less, to record this Year in Review episode. So over the course of the next wee while, I wanted to catch up with you on your work at Strand Hill in 2023. Look forward to and share some stories about who we met and where we played in 2023. And I look forward, obviously, to next year, which is a, a big year in Irish golf. And um, hopefully we'll uh, get some travels uh, out in the bed as well. Very good, yeah. Okay. So, um, first of all, just a little bit of lighthearted uh, first topic for conversation. During the course of a recent Cookie Jar Golf podcast episode on the Strand course at Port Stewart, you received a mention from either Sam or Tom. Not quite sure which one it was. It's uh, incidental, really. I just wanted to give you the right of reply to check that you were happy with the description, Ali McIntosh, part-time golf architect. Does that sound about right? It's not wrong. Um, I am a part-time architect because I do other work as well. Um, but I, it's, it's through choice as much as anything, Shane, because it actually gives me more flexibility. So by doing other construction, project management, engineering work, I get to, in some ways, in some ways, choose who I work with on the golf side. I don't have to go chasing jobs that don't interest me. So it's, it's correct from that point of view. I think, you know, I was put next to, Des Giffen as a teacher. So I'm a part-time architect, but I'm a qualified golf course architect through European Institute of Golf Course Architects. So, you know, but it wasn't incorrect. Just picking up on Des, obviously he was the uh, school teacher that turned his hand to designing the Strand Course of Port Stewart. The result he's ended up with is pretty uh, exceptional, given the fact that obviously he's a golfer, a half-decent golfer, but, you know, I think that's that's his very first and only uh, construction project or design project. Yeah, I don't know too much about history. There was a front nine that Des did, wasn't it? Yeah. So I haven't looked into the history of Port Stewart. Um, it's, and I know actually Ross McMurray's in there from EGD at the moment doing some work or planning some work anyway. Uh, the front nine at Port Stewart is is spectacular. It's through wonderful dune land. It's got great holes. It's maybe missing a little bit of finesse in the detailing, which is sometimes what you get with a a first time or a or a non full. I won't say non full time because I've just called myself a part time, but um, you know, it's sometimes what you get with a, a an amateur golf architect. I suppose is a, a little bit of lack of finesse in the detailing, and that's probably what you've got at Port Stewart. And it, it, it's not much though. It can be, you know, it can be little improvements in mowing lines. Um, green detailing, some little bunker detailing or placement. And, and that's all that's needed to, to, to really elevate a, a course like that. Um, but, the, but the holes are fantastic. He's rooted it beautifully through the front nine. And the dunes, as we all know, are, I won't say second to none, because I've worked down in Carn, but second to Carn. But I guess riffing off something we'll be talking about later on, are they the best golf dunes in the world? <laughs> Down in Belmullet? <laughs> no, Belmullet or, or, well, I'm, I'm obviously that common. Trump Scotland is obviously the best dunes that's, in the world, that's, right? That's what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. But we will, we will get to the second course in Balmedy uh, at some point over the next wee while. Listen, that first topic was really just uh, me 
having a bit of fun at your expense. Oh, so, of course, so yeah. apologies yeah. for that. Not at all, no. Anyway, the worst kept secret in golf came out during during the year. Uh, Port Marnock obviously potentially in the mix for open road inclusion, despite Mr. Slumber's protestations to the contrary in addressing a question posed by Jeff Shackelford. I think it was at the uh, the Open in St. Andrews. So step one appears to be hosting the Women's Amateur in 2024, which is slated for Port Marnock this coming summer. I believe there's parallel conversations with the Irish government ongoing. Knowing the club and the site as you do, what do you think these discussions are focused upon? Well, I, I obviously know the club and I know the site. I'm no more close to these discussions than probably you or anyone else is. Um, I imagine they're primarily focused on the infrastructure getting into the, the course and the support that would be needed to to host such a tournament, which of course is is, is huge transport, logistics, entrance road, car parking, all of that kind of thing. So that's where I would would imagine it is. You, any tournament of this size, whether it be golf, whether it be any other sport, we know needs government and, and uh, you know, infrastructure backing. So that's that's that must be where all the conversation is at the moment. I don't think there's too much needed to the golf course itself. So how have your fellow members greeted the news that an Open in the future may be forthcoming? I don't know. Well, I think most people are excited. You, you, would, you would be excited. You know, there's, there's always an element of people that don't want any change whatsoever. And it does, it, it does come with change. I'm not talking to the golf course. I just mean, you know, to what the membership's rights, I suppose, particularly in the year coming up to it. Um, you know, it it will take change, I think, to the to the course. We'll wait and see about that. Um not a huge amount, uh, or it shouldn't be a huge amount, because you know, Port Marnock has always been an obvious open venue. It really just it's it's really there for for that kind of tournament. It's a huge site. It's got tons of space. Uh, so there shouldn't be a huge amount of change needed to the course. But And and again, I understand crystal ball gazing and and, and what revisions, if any, would you make to the course in advance of an Open Championship? Well, you, you know me, Shane, you, you know, with a course that's as revered as Port Marnock, um, you know, and it, it's had, you know, its routing, the skeleton of its routing has been there since the 1920s. There were changes made in the 1920s. It's obviously 1890s. Um, the only significant change since then the 8th and 10th were moved from a 1930s plan in the 50s um and the the sixth hole when the third nine was built in 1969 the sixth hole moved out of uh, an existing corridor for the second half of the hole into into the corridor now but in essence the skeleton of the routing has been the same since the 15th hole was introduced in the 1920s so with every classic course for me you you look at less is more first of all so you look at doing the minimum and as i said earlier i don't think port marnock needs anything to challenge the best pros in the world um where changes could be needed and again i'm not party to this at all is um you need sometimes to think first and foremost about logistics of spectator flow uh, and the infrastructure getting around the course so potentially something could come from that point of view. I don't know. I'm speculating. I hope not, or the less, the, the less, the better, as I said to you earlier. So I, I really hope not. And if there are small changes needed, 
I hope they can be very temporary um, for the Open. So, you know, there's usually a middle position that can can say, well, we need to make these temporary changes now. So let's wait and see. So um, maybe moving on to your the architectural side of your part-time job. Yeah. You were involved down in Strand Hill during 2023. What little project or what big project did you do down there and uh, and, and what's what's still left to do? Well, Strand Hill has been a wonderful place to work. I've been working down there since 2016. It's been a slow, slow renovation through choice of the golf club, through choice for a couple of reasons. I think... You, you know, you can you can argue that doing work quickly in big phases is actually more cost effective, but not if cash flow is an issue, right? And you know, for a lot of these smaller clubs, cash flow is the primary issue. They can only afford so much per year on capital development or construction works. In addition to that, what we do down in Strand Hill to make sure that we're giving value for money and 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 uh, you know spending money wisely is that Jason Kelly, who's the, the the course manager down there and a great course manager at that, you know, he manages the growing. So his team will will be doing the sorting if we're doing any of that and, and growing in. So if we were to do a huge phase down there, you know, that wouldn't be viable. We'd need to we need to bring in extra labor to to do a lot of that finish sorting work and all the rest of it. So that saves money itself. Um We've made a load of changes down to, to Strand Hill over the years. We've still some to make over the next three or four years, I would say. So I would say it's about a 10 or 11 year project from, from beginning to end. Very happy with the way it's gone. This phase in particular was the biggest one we've, we've done to date. Uh, we had some sports grant um, funding, which, which helped us. Um, so we, we did a lot of work around, well, we've extended the 10, 10th green um, to the right built it into the dunes, tied it in that way, put a couple of bunkers in. Um, we've worked the entire first 100 yards of the 11th, new tees, new shaping down to a big cross bunker into a natural dune, tied it into the dune on the left. So that's much more dramatic now. It's really, really happy with the way that that's turned out. The 12th extended the back of the green, the whole dune at the back of 12 and 11. 13 egress we've we've redone um we've put in a new practice chipping green and we've re-landscaped all around the clubhouse front and and side it was it was kind of ugly um vegetation there you know very not in keeping with the landscape so we've we've just pulled that out and reshaped it as dune land effectively so that's what we've been doing it was about six or seven weeks work you had mentioned to me previously about uh, a, a desire to investigate um, a little bit of additional land that they had. There was a question mark as to whether or not they could use it. It's a special area. Special area can, conservation. conservation. SAC, yeah. yeah, which is European designations. Any movement on that? or do? No, in fact, that really halted us. So whilst I've been working down there since 2016, we were working with the National Parks and Wildlife and Sligo County Council on that land. And it delayed us doing certain bits of work because that would have come with a resequencing. Um, at the moment, we've decided that um, despite it being a very sens environmentally sensitive plan, I was very specific about that. We were really just mowing out land on a on a less sensitive area of the dune land. It was only an extra one and a half acres. We've decided, you know, at the moment to pause that and to, to finish off the golf course 
where it sits. So you're, I'm working within the existing acreage, I guess, of, of, of the golf course at the moment. So I guess that engagement process is, is pretty extensive in terms of the time required to engage with the council and the national parks and wildlife service. And, and you probably need a champion in there in terms of whether or not it's doable or not. Yeah, it's, I mean, generally you're hitting your head against a brick wall if you're trying to, to, to do anything in a special area of conservation. Sometimes it's difficult for, for the authorities to, to, to understand where one proposal is, is very sensitive and very caring to the land versus another proposal that, that isn't. Um, so I found it a little bit disappointing that we couldn't move forward or we can't move forward at the moment with, with what's proposed. Um, we showed how it would, would actually help the, the dune land in many ways. Um, and it would help some of the flora and fauna in there um, just through management. You know, some of that land at the moment isn't being managed. It's being trampled through from the, from the public. So, you know, we could have managed it in a, in a much more um, sensitive way. It's, it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough. And in, in, in the end, you know, we, you, you tend to need a lot more, um, uh, reports and consultations and it comes with money and Strand Hill Golf Club don't have the money to just keep on doing that, you know, ad infinitum. Um, obviously your other labour of love down in that particular neck of the woods is uh, current golf links out in Belmullet. Don't think you were doing anything in 23, but I believe there may be plans afoot for 24. Yeah, I've been back down uh, a couple of times in 23 jerry and fiona down there who manage it do a wonderful job um you know they look after everyone they have a huge international interest um they occasionally get some some philanthropic philanthropic um investments there um so in fact they had one recently um from a gentleman who who paid to pass down right so you know the all of the grass network are passed they, they haven't got the money down there to irrigate so you really can't survive with with a grass network of paths so they've been putting quartz um down um, i'll need to get back down and have a look at that to make sure that it's in the right areas i was down once just to give a little bit of advice um but the plan i think through the end of 24 into 25 um, I've put a master plan together or I'm putting a master plan together for them is is to redo some of the tees. Um, the tees have shrunk in size. They've lost a little bit of their, their shape um, and, you know, they've lost a little bit of their flatness as well. So some of them need redone from that point of view. Uh, and to do a, a full bunker renovation or redesign of the, the 27 holes. So I think between those two areas and we're still working on signage because as you know, they're running the two courses simultaneous down there, which does make a little bit of confusion with, uh, with which way visitors are going. And we've got quite a lot of work planned between the end of 24 into 25, I think. Cool. And obviously Karen had a successful 2023 golfing season, I'm assuming. They did, as I understand it. Yeah. I think they had more visitors than ever Their You know, their green fees are increasing. Um, they had the Irish PGA there for the third year in a row. Um, and people are really speaking highly of the, the new Wild Atlantic Dunes course, um, which if anyone hasn't been to, they, they should, because from a, from a dune perspective, you're just out there with 18 completely individual and 
and wild golf holes, wild in a good way, you know. Um, so yeah, they're they're going from strength to strength. Hope it continues. Excellent. So we we'll draw you on to your travel in 2023 from a golfing perspective. I believe you started the year off pretty well with a trip to the USA. Where did you go and where did you play? The USA, I was in a couple of times. I was in later, actually, later in the year in the USA in North Carolina. Beg your pardon, I've got yeah. that mixed up. But anyway, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll work forwards to work backwards. <laughs> well, I was in the USA. I was there for other work. So I just threw the golf clubs in. So I only played a couple of, couple of rounds and I played at Tobacco Road, which I hadn't seen. So like, I'd never been to North Carolina ever. So I haven't been to Pinehurst. And I thought about trying to get down to Pinehurst. I knew we only had a couple of days. Um, and I decided, no, the, the two courses I really wanted to see more than anywhere were Tobacco Road, but Mike Strand's design, um, which is a public golf course, and was was really bold. Yeah, like, I, I expected it to be bold, but, it, you know, everyone should go and see it because it it opens up your mind to what golf design can be if you just go for it, right? Uh, and then Old Town, which was a beautiful private course. I had a, a, I knew a member there uh, who had played with at Port Marnock um, and it's been restored. It was Perry Maxwell back in the 1930s. It had gone under the radar because it's a little bit off the beaten track in Winston-Salem um, until Corin Crenshaw came in and did a, a restoration, stroke renovation, primarily a restoration um, 10 years ago and then again two years ago and my word, it is just the most wonderful golf course, you know. I think it's it's in the world top 100 now and it's climbing. Um, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be in the world top 30 or 40. There's, there's no reason. It's it's just it's just a fantastic golf course. Sounds like you would recommend North Carolina as a golfing destination. Well, from, from seeing those two and then if you add in Pinehurst into that, um, obviously if you're fortunate enough to get the invite to, to Old Town, um, then... Yeah, I mean, we always knew it was a, is a great golf destination. I hadn't been there, but um, it's a lovely place. And you were, of course, over on a, a I believe, a, maybe not a first time trip to the English Golf Close Coast in Lancashire, so in and around Merseyside. First time playing some of the courses there, which is why I wanted to go over. Yeah, which is amazing that I hadn't been there before from a from a playing perspective. Where did you play, and what did you see? Played, um, played. Went over just for a long weekend. Played Burkdale, Hillside, Formby, Lytham, and then went down into Cheshire for Delamere Forest, which again was a real surprise, actually. Delamere Forest, it was great. Brilliant topography, you know, really brilliant topography. So you compare it to a, it's not a straight heathland, um, but, you know, it, it is really, it's a heath stroke park course, um, but the topography is magnificent so the golf holes themselves huge variety so it flies under the radar very private club and That's again a fowler course yeah yeah, yeah. again because it's not in the in the the kind of common tourist destinations where you go for groups of courses maybe the sorry heathlands or whatever you know less people visit it but it's top tier stuff you know, it really is a top-tier golf course. It, it could hold its head up high with any of the Heathlands. It's amazing when you've got good land. Um, good. I'm assuming it's sandy, sandy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it just it it it, it makes life an awful lot easier. Oh, for for sure. But it also shows like it's it's quite wildly undulating topography, and it and it just uses that really well. 
you know, it just shows how golf holes that are designed up and over rolls as opposed to always through dune valleys or through valleys. Like, I, I think there's a default with, particularly in the last 40 or 50 years, um, you know, inland golf designers to just try and try and route holes through natural valleys or create containment mounding to the side. But take your holes up and over and through and round, and it makes for much more exciting golf. Like having been fortunate to see some exceptional sites over the, the course of 23, particularly in the UK, around uh, around London, it, it, it I was a little bit jealous. You know, one thing we don't have in Ireland is a preponderance or an abundance of good quality, interesting land for golf inland. No, um, where were you again in Surrey? Because you went to Surrey, didn't you? You went for a Heathland trip. Yeah, so, I mean, it, that was, it was a bit of playing. Quite a, actually, 2023 was the year of walking golf courses for me. <laughs> um, starting off with uh, with a great course tour with Mike Clayton, actually, back in, um, back back here in Royal Dublin, actually, back at the start of July. Actually, beg your pardon, I think the first walking tour was actually the Jemison Links out in oh, yeah, yeah, Port yeah. Marnock with uh, with uh, Paul McCanny, the general manager out there, and a site that I would know historically very, very well. They'd done so much work to it in terms of the revision that uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Lynch has done. I didn't know where I was when I was out in the middle of a golf course. Well, there's um, there's a tale in of itself, but uh, yeah, I I was fortunate in that I walked Sunningdale New. I got a tour with Tristan, the general manager, who was very kind to afford me uh, some time to bring me around. Uh, also walked the back nine at St. George's Hill. Didn't see the front nine. I believe the front nine at St. George's Hill is even even better. They're both equally good. It's great. Yeah. Of course, St. George's uh, Hill. What a, what a phenomenal site for golf. And I had the absolute and unmitigated pleasure of joining Ryan Nodes at the Addington uh, my last day in London. Didn't get a chance to, to play. I, I was invited to play the place, but I was kind of a little bit golfed out at that stage and decided to plonk myself on the on the couch in the bar and watch the women's open from, from Walton Heath. But yeah, it's been a good year for walking golf courses. But like the sites, the site, I mean, the Addington, St. George's Hill, even West Byfleet. I mean, wonderful sites. For oh, they're, they're very good. And to your point, it's sandy inland soil, good topography. You know, that's 50%, more than 50% of the battle before you start looking at your who your designer is and, and what they can do with the land. You know, if you have the land in the first place, you're halfway there. And so, you know, you said earlier, Ireland doesn't have much of that land. If we did, and it was fresh, we probably wouldn't be allowed to develop it anyway now. But we don't, we, we don't have a huge amount. There are courses out there, like I'd love to get, I say I'd love to get my hands on it, it's a terrible way to say it. But Carlo, I, yeah. yeah, I'd love to go down to Carlo and, and try and help them out. Because the Carlo is just the best, my favourite in the Just a question on that. I mean, yeah. like, like Carlo, I've I, I obviously dipped into Autry's book on Simpson over the, the course of 23. And and actually, Carlo is obviously one of the four. But the other one that I didn't realise was Kilkenny. I also walked Kilkenny. I don't know how much, uh, you can sort of still see some of the car Simpson corridors. They redid the greens in the 80s or 90s, USGA specs. So, and the bunkers were done on top of that. So there's probably not a huge amount of stuff left there. But in saying that, like Carlo, to my mind is, and I guess maybe just for listeners, 
how would you contrast the land that Carla was on versus Surrey Heathland? Because I don't think it's quite the same sort of of setup. It's 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 more gravelly and esker as opposed to it is, but it's free draining. The sand in there, it's it is a in the end, it is a sandy site. Um, the it was Fred G. Hawtrey, which is Martin Hawtrey's grandfather, with with Taylor the first um, first designed it. Uh, and then Tom Simpson and Molly Gourley came in in the in the mid to late thirties, so it's got a huge design history, and the rooting of it is just magnificent. Because in essence, and you never really realise this, but in essence, it's one central hill with rooting in, round, across, sideways, and all the rest of it. And you you just don't realise that it's that simple a landscape because because they use. They use land in every way. There's reverse camber, dog legs. There's you know up sideways. There's over. There's knob to knob par threes, and it's it's just the most wonderful golf course. I think it's it, I, like I have it as my favourite inland course in in Ireland. Anyway, I'd second that yeah. particular uh, nomination. But it could do with a bit of tender loving care. Um, one of the amazing things about it is Simpson, as was his want actually. Uh, didn't have any, there's only one, there was only, unless it's changed in the last few years, but there was only one hole with fairway bunker on it, which is the 10th, which was a, a kind of more modern construct anyway. That wasn't the Simpson hole. That though, wasn't the Simpson hole, yeah. And what I think, or this is me speculating, but it seems pretty obvious to me, what I think happened over the years is the membership or whoever planted copses of trees down elements of the fairway almost to tighten it up probably because there wasn't any fairway bunkering there. And, you know, that's taken away a bit of the character of the site because it has got this open prairie, even though it's not heath, this open prairie heath kind of feel to it. So I think, you know, some sensible tree clearance or tree management um, with rebunkering. And when I say rebunkering, I don't mean redesigning necessarily the bunker scheme, although probably one or two could be added in. I just mean giving it a little bit of aesthetic and, and um, drama, really, because they've lost their shape and they've lost their, their impact. Um, and then recapturing, I would imagine, some of the greens sizes, because the greens seem to have shrunk in, in places. Now, I don't know what the subsurface of the green is, whether some of that could just be recaptured through mowing. I would imagine some of it would need to happen through reconstruction as well. But if you took those three elements, you could, you could really elevate Carlo, um, up another level and it could be considered as Ireland's Heathland. You know, it's equivalent to the, the English Heathlands. So, Ali, end of 2024, most recently you were over in Aberdeen for Christmas, visiting friends and family, and took a trip down memory lane to uh, some dunes that you know uh, quite closely. What did you find, and what can you tell us? Yeah, well, I I grew up in Aberdeen. Um, so when Trump announced his first golf course, I was obviously hugely interested so yeah, part of growing up in Aberdeen for a lot of people was um going down to Balmeri um there's a particular kind of national car park and beach there where you know national heritage site where we used to always just run up and down the dunes as kids run along the beach so it always interested me so when he built his first course I you know I was lucky enough to to walk that through construction with Caspar Crowbel, who was working for Martin Hawtrey at the time. 
um, and saw that come to fruition. Um, I was particularly interested in the second golf course, which has just got planning permission in, in that obviously opened in 1913, the first one. The second one um, has just got planning permission in 2020 and they've just started constructing it quite below the radar. Not a lot has been said about it. And the reason I'm even more interested in that one is because the the dunes to the south of the existing one, which is right where everyone walks and plays, like right on the edge of the public car park, uh, these these golf holes will go down to. So six of the golf holes go down through these great this great dune land to the edge of the public car park, and then 12 of them are more inland on kind of flat land that'll have to be created dunes. Sorry, sorry to cut across there. I know there'll be some of our, our friends over in the UK wondering out loud what happened to that uh, local farmer who became, I think at one point, didn't he become the Scotsman of the he Year in 2014 or 15? Is he still yeah, there? He's still there. Or I, I, I thought he was, he was kind of north, he was northwest of the whole thing. He is, he's in a slightly different area. Yeah, he's, um, he's there close to the second course though. Um, but he's still there. So, you know, so that both courses root around, uh, root around his farm. But the, the, the dune land for the, the new course is for the six holes, which I think were going to be six holes, eight to 13 is just as spectacular as the original, the original course. So I went wandering out there for a Christmas or a Stephen's day uh, walk. Well, God, God bless the uh, right to Romans. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the point, right? We went out just for a walk. I went out because I was specifically interested to see it. But there were hundreds of people out for a walk who had probably no interest in the golf course, but they were walking over land that they've already started to 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 shape or to rough grade and to mine some sand, some um, golf holes in. So, you know, for me, it was a little bit, it was a little bit disappointing to see in some ways. You know, not knowing what was there previously, um, and you were kind enough to share a picture or two with me, that seems like a, am I, am I correct in saying like that picture that has taken the big chunk out of the dune ridge, that presumably was a dune ridge at one point, and that's now a sandpit. Yeah, the, the, a bit like the original course, there was a huge sand dome on this area of Lynx land which when we were wee kids used to feel like you called it Sahara because it used to feel like you were walking just across this big desert. Um, and some of the holes are going to go over that. So it was all open sand already, or a lot of it was open sand. But there's been uh, there's been some pretty severe cuts into the dunes. And I think there's two reasons for that. One is just severe cuts to create hole corridors. Um and the other seems to be severe cuts to mine sand to move to the inland portion of the site to create dunes. Because the inland portion of the site is actually quite wet. It's low-lying and quite wet. How, how challenging, given the fact that there's essentially two distinct areas there for the second course, how challenging do you think it will be to shape and make the flatter areas fit with the very, very cha- challenging. So I think it'll be interesting to see. And Martin's doing the work again. I'm not sure who the, the builder is, whether it's Saul again. I'm, I'm actually unsure. Th- that, to me, is where you will actually... You can build in, in Duneland and do a pretty good job of it, right? Um, 
detailing can be questionable, whatever. As soon as you start to try and marry a dunescape, a natural dunescape into a created one, that's where the real detailing and the real skill will come into his design, the people he's got working for him and all the rest of it. So it will be interesting to see what he comes up with because that isn't easy. We'll see how he goes. I, I know uh, Mr. Trump has always expressed a desire to have a second course there. It doesn't seem to be, and I, I could be wrong, it, it doesn't seem to be a, a money-making uh, organization in terms of the standalone golf in, in, in uh, Trump, Trump golf in, in, in Aberdeen. I mean, I was only there once and there's no one in the car park. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing financially, to be honest, although there's been a bit of the press about it. But, um, and I also don't know where the current plans of house building and hotel building are, which was... Let's talk about a nursing home or been, I don't know. aging might care or something like, like that. I, I don't know, but obviously the original master plan had 900 houses or whatever and huge another huge hotel. He's got the McLeod Hotel there, which was the existing... Um, the existing house, um, and that's a lovely spot, but the, we're going to build a big grand hotel as well. So I don't know how any of that's coming along or whether it's planned or not. The golf courses on their own, I can't imagine make money. Um, it has, though, brought Aberdeen as a proper destination now, I think, because you have, you know, as a, as a Lynx destination, you have Royal Aberdeen, Cruden Bay, and Merker. Three really, really good golf courses, Royal Aberdeen, Cruden Bay especially, great courses. But it just wasn't quite enough to draw people from far and wide to Aberdeen as a extended destination. Whereas I think once you added the Trump course in, the original Trump course in, that really did become, Aberdeen has really become a proper golf destination. People can say, I need to go away for a long weekend or a week golfing, where am I going to go? And... Sure, they're going to choose Fife or they're going to choose East Lothian, but Aberdeen is a pretty good choice as well now. So I think the, the Trump course has really added that as a, as a destination. We'll see what the second one does. And I, how good is the second one going to be? Well, it's certainly got some great landscape for six holes. Whether they make the most of that or not, we'll wait and see. And then the big question is how they shape the 12 other holes. Any idea when it's due to... No, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. It wasn't really even clear from... There was no plan on site. Um, it wasn't even clear how quickly they were going. It was potentially that they just started constructing it to stay within planning regs because they got 2020, the planning permit, and they needed to start within three years. Maybe, maybe it's a slow build. No idea, to be honest. You know, you were asking me about, uh, about, about course walks, and I did mention briefly... Mike Clayton's visit to Royal Dublin in July. I was uh, uh, very pleased to get an invitation to go for a, a wee little walk. But obviously, you were uh, you joined me at least once, if not twice, um, in, in 23 out with the new bunkers in Dollymount. Uh, first of all, with your Irish golfer hat on, I, I, I suspect, obviously, having hosted Mr. Markham as well, can maybe expect one or two notches up uh, on the on the on the rankings list. But well, you know, if if it was, and look, we're, I mean, the, the reason for for Mike's visit was obviously to see the the new bunkers bedded in, but also to explore some ideas for 
uh, a master plan that we've asked CDP to prepare for, for the members to consider. And obviously, that's as much to do with what you would do as to what you shouldn't do, if you like, just to obviously set something, a direction in train to try and develop Royal Dublin into the best the best example of Royal Dublin it can be, rather than trying not to be something else. I'm going to ask you a question, and please feel free to to dodge it if you see fit. But with that particular process in mind, if you were part of the Brains Trust, the CDP, what would you, what what might you suggest as as areas for development or something that you you might look at in relation to the golf course out there in Diamond? It's an interesting question. I think. Um, well, I think first of all, you, you talked about rankings. We all know rankings is. You know, there's an there's a there's a high element of subjectivity in there. I'd like to think there is some kind of collective ob- objectivity as well, but it is primarily subjective. Um, I've always been a fan of Royal Dublin. I think it's sitting a little bit low in in the current rankings, um, particularly because the course has been managed so well uh, over the last few years. When I first saw the drone photographs of the bunkers, I, I was a little unsure. Actually, that was the first uh, I was looking at. It going. Not too sure. And this is almost the opposite way to the way we were talking about earlier about some golf courses. Then I got got back to the golf course, played it with you, and I really saw the improvement in the bunker scheme, you know, down in the way the, the, the course played, which is strange. Quite often you look at drone photographs and that's what really sells a course. This time it was actually down on the ground playing the holes. I don't know. It, it comes back to some, sometimes people review courses by looking at plan and they go, look, the bunker scheme looks good on plan, you know, complete aerial. Um, you have to see how it plays and how it looks down at ground level because that's how you see the golf course in the end. Um, there probably is a, a an ideal elevation, but I, anyway, the, back to your question, right? I I I thought the bunkers have improved the golf course. There's no doubt about that. Somebody said to me recently that we've made it easier. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No, not at not at all. It depends what you're trying to do. Everyone seems to think you need to make things harder. I think I think when you're rebunkering a course, like I, I've I've always had the same things thrown at me in work that I've done. It's when you're rebunkering a golf course, someone just picks on an individual bunker and say you've made this little bit easier. But you've got to look at it in terms of the overall scheme. Some things you're making harder. Some things you're making easier. You're just trying to make it more interesting. You're trying to make um, the the mental side of shot choices become more to the forefront with with, with every part of the, the golf round. So you'll find that elements have tightened the course up and elements have opened the course up. That's that's the usual way. But I guess the other side of it is, you know, that presupposes that the golf course wasn't too difficult in the first place. And second of all, as Bobby Jones used to say, you know, give the, the weaker golfer room to hang themselves. So they can actually go and avoid the trouble they want. The Ramadan golfers at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, you have to do that. But on the flip side of that, or you could say it's the same side, I also like, I, I really dislike when when bunker schemes, particularly fairway bunkers, are, are just put at what seem to be standard turning points, 260 to 290 yards. You know, you've got to use the natural landscape and you've got to, you've got to have variety. First of all, on a Lynx course, Wind makes a huge difference. What's the point putting everything 260 to 290 yards when you have a 30 mile an hour wind behind you one day and into you the next day? Uh, and the other side is it's actually nice to to create the occasional challenge for for the weaker hitter. You know, have the odd bunker at 210. 
have the odd bunker at 320, which actually catches a second shot sometimes. Yeah, and, and I, I guess it's it's the, there's so much variability, particularly in terms of links weather in 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 these aisles, and also understanding, as you said, that all bunkers aren't necessarily there for everybody, yeah. or certainly yeah, not on course. the particular shot that they might have been considered for, if you like. That's right. Yeah. I actually I had a story in Strand. We were building a bunker down Strand Hill, and it was at three hundred yards on a three hundred and seventy yard hole. And as I was building it, I was in there one day, and the course was was closed, and two gents walked walked past, um, or the hole was closed. Two gents walked past, and I could hear them talking to each other. And he said, "Why are they putting a bunker in there? No one will ever go in that." And I was there again the next day when that hole was back open, I was just walking around and I saw the same gents again and he put his second shot into the bunker. And he said to his guy, I just said yesterday that no one would go in that and look at me. And it gave me a little bit of a chuckle, you know, the coincidence in it anyway, you know. Uh, it was just fortuitous that you were there the second day to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but let me go back here to the, the, the Royal Dublin, if you don't mind, because I didn't get to your question, which, uh, and I, I hope that I don't wouldn't cause- be like you. <laughs> I hope I don't cause offence to anyone here. What what would I do at Royal Dublin? And this is just me being open and honest. Is I think the surrounds to the greens could do with a little bit of almost simplification. They're a little bit over fussy. They're they are mounded and swaled at you know a few yards off the green before disappearing back out into the natural grade. If they were reshaped back to natural grade and given the proper scale. Uh, I think on a lot of holes out there, that would actually, maybe 90% of people don't see that, wouldn't notice it anyway, but it would actually tie the greens back into the natural landscape a little bit better, I think. Okay, interesting. Thank you. So apropos your writing and rankings in uh, work in 2023, and you said to me earlier on that you've written nothing. So the first, the first no. question is kind of a bit redundant then, so isn't it? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. I don't think I have written anything this year. You know? So I I understand obviously you're on the Irish Golfer Magazine ranking panel. Um, who's uh? There's there's a, a new ranking uh, due in 24. Is that right? They do it once a year. Yeah. Um, I haven't been in touch with uh, or John or Peter. So assuming he's going to give me a call, um, then it's usually January. So we'll we'll meet somewhere in January for a day or two. How long are you on that particular panel? Since John and Peter started up, um, they, obviously there was the history with Golf Digest Ireland, um, and then, so I don't, I don't know, what, 2015, something like that, 215, 260. And who else is on the panel with you? Kevin's on it, Kevin Markham, um, John Kelly. Um, John's Marie, the uh, director of golf in the island. He is now, yeah, he is. He moved there from Malahide, um, great player. Um, then we have um, Maria Dunn. Maria Dunn. Ex, uh, uh, what, she was a serious amateur golfer in her in her time. She turned pro, at one point. She definitely, she definitely played in the. Uh, She's looking after the. the she played the, the Vagliano Trophy at yeah. one point. She actually She's may have captained that, the Vagliano She's Trophy. Cap She's captaining that, yeah. And um, we have Ken Carney, um, who's obviously a, a, a great player in his time and a, and a course architect as well. Um, Damien McGrain. He brings that European tour aspect and, and view to 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 the way we're doing it. Um, 
And then with Peter and John sit on it themselves. I hope I'm not missing anyone. I'm sure I am missing someone. There's usually about eight or nine of us sitting on it. That, that process involves a couple of days of just arguing. Yeah, that, well, that's why I like it. I like, I'm not really, like, as we've talked about, rankings are um, very subjective. Um, but, you know, sending your ranking in, rankings into a, a nameless face or a magazine editor doesn't really like the, wh why I enjoy it is because we sit down and we discuss golf courses because there's only eight or nine of us. So we discuss, you know, we discuss around a, uh, a table and argue and debate and laugh. And do you use, po I mean, how do you, how, I mean, again, any system, as you say, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a touch of, well, not just a touch of subjectivity, the, in terms of trying to collate the collection of opinions from eight or nine people. Do you score it? Do you, what do you, I mean. Well, normally there's a score. Actually, the way Irish, I think any magazine that, that goes on scoring, you know. Sorry, sorry, beg your pardon. What, what criteria do you use? Is probably the I can't. I can't quite recall the five criteria that we uh, we use. I need to 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 look that up again. But in reality, you know, those criteria can blend into one anyway. You're just looking at the overall picture. So again, when you have a golf digest or something, and they say, "Well, we mark, you know, design out of twenty, and we do this and we do that," people in their own heads might do that, but they readjust to put the the course in the order that they think it should be anyway. So. The, the better way of doing it is just to use your own skill of judgment of what's a better course and something else. So what we actually do with Irish Golfer is we we sit down and we take it in blocks of five or ten from last year. And, you know, and then we'll look at courses further down the line that might have done work or, or might be improving that can be considered in that. So we'll get the top ten down to a 16 or 17 or 18 um, and we'll discuss all of that before before voting ourselves. And then we'll do that as we go down from one to hundred and that can take ages. I, I read you had a, an interesting, uh, 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 reply to somebody on golf club Atlas over the last couple of days, talking about the, some of the parts of a golf course yeah. rather yeah. than featured holes. I just interested to get your thoughts on how important it is that a golf course makes sense in terms of fitting together as opposed to to be seen as two or three outstanding yeah. signature holes or whatever it might be you know showstoppers if you like i think there's there's two sides to it i, I think the first side is is primarily rooting right and you know you if you've grown up in scotland or ireland or the uk um and if you've grown up on links courses, but primarily if you've just grown up playing golf, you're used to highly walkable golf courses. We we all walked. Um, most of us still do. Um, and a highly walkable golf course is one where green to tee transitions are relatively close, um, where you can get around relatively quickly. Unless you've played a lot of cart golf in the US, you don't realize that a lot of the modern courses in the US have actually just been built with like 600 meter transfers between green and tee because everyone uses a cart. Well, I think, also the other side of that is that they've got to put the houses somewhere. Uh, well, yeah, they did have that for a while. They, they've moved slightly away from that. But yes, that was absolutely, the real estate model was absolutely there. Um, I think routing, so back to your question, right? Two sides to it. The first side is routing. 
So when you're routing a golf course, if one of your, every architect has a different list of priorities. They haven't written down the list, but in their own head, they prioritize something more than something else. It's all compromises in the end. Um, if you're routing a golf course and you're stuck on one fantastic golf hole, but you can't get the jigsaw of 18 to work together, it can have huge knock-on effects. Um to the overall product. So sometimes you have to give away that great hole for the for the sake of the 18 to get a course that flows together beautifully, that works together beautifully. Um, I always, I've said it on GCA, but I always think of it as, as like music an analogy is a great album. You know, an album where there's no filler, an album where the experience is the 45 minutes of that music as opposed to a three minute hit in the, in the middle of it. So I think routing is the first thing. Don't get stuck on a fantastic hole if it's gonna mess up five or six of the other holes in the, in the golf course. So I think that's one thing. And I think the second thing is um, the, the feel of the golf course, the, the look and feel of it. So yes, you always design the best holes you can, of course you do, but don't go supercharged on one hole where the rest of the course feels completely different. Try and make the whole thing move from one spot to the next spot and feel the same in that way. So what you're really talking about there is sense of place and a fit. Yeah, I think so. With, with, with the surrounding and just being aware of, of what the piece of land is rather than trying to turn it into something it isn't. I, yeah, I think absolutely. You know, it is. It's sense of place. It's making the golf course feel of itself. And every golf course should feel different. Um, and it's important. It's important the 18 works, if it is an 18 holer, that it works together. But there's always exceptions. You know, of course there's always exceptions. You, you like, don't pass up building a great hole if it if it doesn't have that much of an effect on something else or you, you have to compromise. And that's why every bit of golf course design is, is realizing that the pros are more than the negatives um, in your options. Cool. So do you anticipate any movers this year in the rankings list or in the, in the Irish? Well, I suppose to your point, right? I suppose you've got a bit to consider. There's been quite a bit yeah. of work ongoing. You've got, I, I, your big work is Royal Dublin has primarily been the bunker scheme so far. We'll see what happens over the coming years. Um, but that's, that's definitely work. Port Marnock Links was interesting. Um, I know you went out there. I think you met with you were talking about it earlier, but you you met with Jeff as well, or you had a podcast ha with Jeff? Ha haven't you? haven't yet. It was no. it was it was due, but okay. unfortunately, a couple of my um, a couple of other podcasters have got there first. So maybe just cool the jets and wait to hear what they're doing for phase two, and then maybe do it do it then. Just there's no point in you know, yeah. overdoing overdoing the content. No, no of course, Fint Fintan and and um, and indeed Moira and. Paul were very kind to give me some time and obviously give me a tour and a, a, a play. And it's, it's one of, it's one of those things, knowing, knowing the side as I, as I do or did do, I suppose, you know, the, the, the first time you see what they've done, it was quite arresting, I suppose. Yeah. Um, certainly the brief that they were after has been hit. Um, I suspect I'm not the, the target market in terms of what they were doing. So, um, but it does, it kind of, the more you see it, the more you get used to it. He's put a lot of design into it, if that makes sense, right? Do, do you know, like, you, I'm not saying it's over-designed. That's not what I'm trying to indicate, but it's, 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 it's designed, right? You know, he's, he's, he's put 
artistry into the the holes for sure and there's some really cool stuff there that, that he's put in so it, it's interesting that all that I'm, I'm assuming that all of the panelists will have gone to see port Marlon links i i went with kevin actually and we met finton pretty early on i know the 17th hole hasn't been done yet but we saw that shaped in um so there's port Marlon links druids glen of course where jeff was as well um and that is much improved um, the bones are very much the same. There hasn't been a huge amount. Of, I thought it could have been a bit more tree clearing, but the bunker scheme, much more artistic, looks good. The greens and the green surrounds, an improvement for sure. So it's definitely it's definitely elevated the golf course at Druid's Glen. And that was Jeff with Peter uh, Ma- McAvoy. McAvoy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who, funnily enough, I believe was uh, is big into his conditioning. I don't, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I'm repeating that from somebody that's heard okay. say it at the opening. Peter's done. Peter's been involved in some interesting stuff over the time. He he did Rathsala with uh, Christy Junior, and Peter also did the greens out at New Beaverstown. Forest. New Forest, I think he did as well. New Forest, yeah. I was the greens at Beaverstown were were kind of a cool set, you know. Peter plus his architect. I don't know who his architect was at the time. I can't quite recall, but um, you know, he's. He's definitely into to not pushing the envelope, but but it's not boring design. He, he puts in some interest in design, Peter. So you foresee a few potential movers and shakers then, so in relation to I think so. Business. Those are the three big renovations. Um, we'll see what else is going on. There's always some that are just trending up and some that are trending down. Would you suggest more or less love for St. Patrick's links at Rossapena? Don't know. It's interesting. Um, obviously, it's it's into the top 50 in the world now in the golf mag rankings. So, you know, it comes with a huge, um, huge pedigree through Tom. Um, it's a absolutely magnificent golf course. Um, but there seems to be some varying opinions within Ireland. I don't know whether that's just because it's different and unusual to, to some people who haven't traveled as much. That can sometimes be the case. Um, I, I just think it's a wonderful course. I haven't been up there this year. So we need, we'll, we need, we'll to, see re- where we need it to rectify that in 24. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's, oh, the fairway undulations are, ah, uh, he's just, t- Tom and, and his team, which was, um, Eric and Clyde and Angela did just the right amount there. And that's not always the, the case. It's, I knew the land well, which was unusual looking at other you know, when you look at other people's work, you don't usually know what the base land was very well. But I spent a fair amount of time up at Rossapena, so I knew that land well. I'd walked that land myself, looking at potent- the potential of it. And um, to- they did, I know we talked about this earlier in the year, but they or last year, but we they did just the right amount of work. They didn't get anything wrong there. And that's the difference, I think, between Tom and his crew and one or two of the pretenders. Um, so, with a view to looking forward to travel plans for 2024, Mr. McIntosh, are you eyeing up anything in particular? Yeah, yeah. You're always eyeing something up. <laughs> well, I have to. I have to travel the states anyway for non-golf. Um, I'll, get, stuff. I'll get my little violin out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I, I'm going to LA in March. Um, so I'm going to hopefully throw the clubs in then for two or three days again of golf. I, I'm hoping to see LACC, which I haven't. I want to go and see Rustic Canyon, which is a public course up in Ventura, um, which was a Gil Hans design from, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, 
So I want to see Rustic Camp, maybe Bellier, if if I have a third day up there. And, yeah, that, and looks, can, that looks wild. Yeah, it does. That, that so, hosted the US Women's Am this year, didn't it? I, I don't know. Did I think it? That's, yeah, that's maybe, Thomas, yeah. Thomas design it in, is in, Thomas in design. through the, the canyons and whatnot. That's it. And, and, there's, and, a, and there's a lift on, on the 18th green. There's a lift back up to the clubhouse. Could be. I don't know much about it. I haven't been... I, well, I, I obviously know Tom Doak was in there as well, restoring or restoring what he could do. Um, I don't think it was all restorable, but... Um, and then obviously LACC is somewhere that I want to see. I've I've seen Riviera before. I'd love to go back. I think Riviera is just a wonderful strategic masterpiece. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll see. So that's there. I was going to try and get to the New York area in September for a week. That's not planned in yet. I don't know if that's going to going to happen or not. I probably do have one or two other states trips. Um, so maybe I'll be able to throw the clubs in again then. So we'll see. Yeah, I I think so. I there's 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 other things. We'll we'll see. Things will generate themselves as the as the year goes on. I'll definitely want to go and see some other places. You were in the Netherlands this year, weren't you? I was in the Netherlands. I might throw the clubs and I'll be crossing the Netherlands again. So uh, I might. and you, and you know what? I'm I'm kind of still in the middle of that um that golf series in the Netherlands. So if anybody wants to hear more about the golf in the Netherlands, just go back to uh, episode twenty nine, and um, you can fill your boots there. But uh, Netherlands, I, I'm in fact I'm half eyeing up a, another trip to the Netherlands and a pending a Belgian trip on as well. One of the lads I met over in um, Nordwijk, uh, hello Chris, uh, has suggested that maybe we uh, go and take a look at some of the Simpson courses in in Belgium. So that would oh, be, be uh, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, and I've got a another mate coming over from Adelaide uh, the end of June, start of July. Um, so Kent, uh, Linksland, and a bit of bit of Heathland thrown in on top as well. So still, some sort of planning planning that out at the moment. But that that looks uh, looks like five or six days of half decent golf. Oh, that would be that would be great. Actually, I, I like to. I don't know if I'll get to see as many new courses in twenty four as I did in twenty three. As you said, I was in Lancashire for Formby. <clears throat> as much as I love Burtdale and Lytham and uh, Hillside, which are all great courses, Formby was a real standout for me you know it was a wonderful course but it takes you through v very different topography and landscape but it flows beautifully so that was great and then i went later in the year again i played beau and knott's hollandwell magnificent uh heathland course and then jcb with with robin heisman the designer who's a good friend of mine so we, we had a just the sunniest most wonderful 36 whole day at jcb and he's done a he's done a really good job there it's like because again, it wasn't on wonderful land. It was a bit like a lot of the heavy clay estate courses that we would have built in Ireland in the in the nineties and through the UK. It's just he's taken the design level to a another level. You know, he's his design on that land is just a step up. So JCB is really, if anyone gets the opportunity, it's really worth seeing. Last couple of topics before we let you get back into the wind there, Ali. Uh, we've got a half-decent summer of Irish golf in terms of amateur and professional events. We have the uh, Amateur Championship at Ballyliffin, June 13th to 22nd. We have the Women's Amateur at Pormarnock Golf Club between June 24 and 29. And the Irish Open is back in a Lynx golf course, Royal County Down, in September 24. What do you think competitors can expect and, and, and indeed uh, viewers can expect from looking at, at the events that will take place at Ballyliff and Port Marnock and RCD? 
first of all, the Ballyliffin getting announced for the the amateur was, well, in my opinion, quite a coup. Great, well done on them. Because if you look at the, if you look at who has hosted the amateur championship over the years, every single one of them is an old traditional golf club with tons of history. And Ballyliffin doesn't really have that history, you know. Um, so you know, to get announced for the the amateur, it also being outside of Britain and Northern Ireland, you know, even though Port Marnock has previously held it, um, was was a spectacular achievement. So well done, well done them. Well done, Sean Farron. Yeah, well done. So really look forward to to seeing that in Ballyliffin because the amateur is is great to watch. Obviously, the women's amateur coming to to Port Marnock will be interesting, particularly for me. Um, so I I look forward to that um and then it's good to see the irish open back on a links course you were doing a little bit of history digging were you to see how many times it's been held you know you often you often come across external commentators particularly uh, some of our friends over in north america lament the fact that more links venues aren't hosting the irish open so i looked back over the last 30 years 21 times parkland and only nine times on the links so they they will they will proffer Different uh, arguments, such as it's a missed opportunity market Irish links golf. You know, at the end of the day, they're members' courses. There is a hosting fee. The disruption for for member access and crowd damage can be, you know, a disincentive. And ultimately, when you distill down the latent inbound demand that we are fortunate enough to have in terms of inbound golfers, there's actually an opportunity cost in hosting it. I suppose in relation to foregone green fees yeah yeah that's true um so you're right maybe you know not everyone not everyone's that interested in the irish open but it is great to see it back at 100%. like it's it's 2015 i think since the last time it was there soren kelson actually he bet eddie pepperell and somebody else in a playoff and for the life of me, I, I i i forgive me if i i can't remember the uh the other golf, but definitely Pepperell was beaten in the playoff. Um, but yeah, Soren Kelson, uh, a man that, that can play in the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, of course, you've got Port Rush. The Open's back at Port Rush the year after again as well. So for the next 18 months, it really is um, going to be Irish Lynx course front and centre um, in the international golf calendar, which is, which is fantastic. RCD... I think they they restricted the um, the fans, didn't they? In RCD, yeah, there was a cap on it, right? There was a cap on it, same way as there was a cap at LACC there just for the US Open last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they go with the same cap or whether there'll be a, an increased limit there, just to protect some of the flora and fauna around the place. I think so. Um, we'll see, but look, seeing seeing Royal County down on the television and that going out to an international audience. It's not as if the international audience doesn't know Royal County down anyway, but it's such a beautiful links course. And we know the, the, the surrounds are so beautiful that it really, particularly if you get a little bit of decent weather, it really will, uh, film well let's put it that well, way there there are a few better sites than cresting the ridge on the night and and heading back towards uh the sleep down at hotel uh and um and the mountains are more in the distance that's it's, it i know it's it's remarkable uh, in fact it's it's over 20 years since i was up there so i must get back myself 
Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you said to me you haven't uh, you haven't listened to any podcast pretty much, so there's no point in me asking you that question. What I will say is we got a couple of um, pretty interesting uh, podcasts uh, upcoming on Firm and Fast. Um, I've, uh, as I said, got to finish off. There's two or three episodes left in the Dutch golf series. Uh, Ryan Notes has promised me some time to have a chat about J.F. Abercrombie and the Addington, which will be interesting should be able to get that done in the next couple of months i'm planning another one with tom uh, with jess styles from the tom simpson society uh, having uh, dipped my toe in the water again in relation to information in terms of tom simpson uh, there's one recorded pre-edit at the moment for calvin peace a uh, very interesting uh, case study in relation to uh, pga tour golf from uh, the the mid 70s onwards um pat ruddy uh, tacitly agreed last august to uh have a have a chat with me i've yet to uh make that particular follow-up phone call which is due in the not too distant future returning listeners will know we generally finish episodes with some book recommendations you've already proffered suggestions way back in episode one so um this time i'm wondering whether any particular golf books you read or came into possession of during 2023 the listeners may be interested in if you haven't i, I have an answer for that particular <laughs> not too, not too many actually I'll tell you one that i just came across which i haven't seen advertised much um and i can't remember the author's name i do apologize there was a an irish author he, he must be self-published because it's a little bit like kevin markham's hooks um he seems to have traveled and, and he's done a review of all of the 18 hole golf courses in in ireland sorry um, I, i'm staring blankly at you yeah i i'll need to it's not going to help this podcast, of course, but uh, I'll need to remind myself what the name of it was. He was, he was on the radio the other day. So it came out of nowhere. So I, I might get my hands on that because it's always worth uh, looking at how people think about the um, the, the lesser Irish courses. There's not many books that look at that, you know. Um, I, yeah, I've been fortunate with books coming out my ears, actually, uh, in terms of you know, having half started to read something and, uh, and then... Uh, uh, put it down and start read something else. So, for me, I, when I was over in Japan in Utrecht, I actually was given a present of the history of the Utrecht Golf Club, Japan. Now it is in Dutch, but there are some really cool images, letters, and communications with uh, Colt and Copain and the builders and so on and so forth. The images in themselves are, are actually as compelling as the text. I probably and you haven't you haven't learned Dutch just to no, be able I, to read it. it. Wouldn't surprise no, me with you. Not yet. Not yet. We also had Richard Pennell on back earlier in the year with his Grassroots book. Uh, I've not only bought a copy of that, I've actually given a few away as well. So uh, that's, a, that's a really cool. Uh, people may have come across his at Pitchmark's Twitter handle. So he's posting away like good out every Sunday. I just got, got one this morning. And finally, The Serendipity of Golf, which is basically a, an exposition of golf in the Netherlands by... A, a, a recent guest, uh, Robin Bergman, who's one of Holland's, he's, he's a golf historian in Holland, uh, really, really interesting. He goes back in a, a, an awful lot of detail. King David in the 10th century uh, and look, looks at the commonalities between Dutch and British society. Not suggesting, of course, that golf is the precursor to golf, but, you know, you read the book. He's not doing a Stephen Van Hengel on it, which he basically said golf was golf. But uh, there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest there was at least a little bit of Dutch influence on. Okay, 
You might get the back up in the Scotsman in me there. Good, though. Sounds interesting. So you didn't read any books. That's fine. <laughs> I read a lot of books. I just steered away from golf books. You can have a bit too much of it sometimes. Quite all right. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat, Charlie. Uh, so look, wishing you and yours a prosperous golfing 2024. Thanks as always. And to you, Shane. Look, good to chat to you. We'll be playing and seeing each other through 2024. And uh, have a good one when it comes. We certainly will. Thanks, mate.